Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Score North listeners, it's Phil Mackey here. And starting Monday, September 23rd and running through Friday, September 27th, we at Score North are raising money to feed and change the lives of Twin Cities homeless. We're calling it Score North's Mission for Meals, supporting the Union Gospel Mission Shelter in St. Paul. We're auctioning off some awesome sports-related packages, including Twins playoff tickets with luxury transportation to the ballpark, a Gopher football tunnel experience, a Vikings-Packers package, also live show sit-ins with Glenn Perkins, Alex Boone, and a lot more. Money raised will go directly into helping transform the lives of Twin Cities homeless. Scorenorth.com slash mission for meals is where you can see all the packages. That's scorenorth.com slash mission for meals. Or if you just want to donate, you can go to the same website. A dollar ninety six provides a meal and shelter for a homeless person. Scorenorth.com slash mission for meals. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you. Find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Well, I think we have... Play action for Kelly. He's going to the end zone for Treadwell. He's got it! Jonathan Harrison had to go back to college to find a Laquan Treadwell highlight. Very clever. I'll give give credit to Manny. He got that one. I don't know if that's a dig or just literally a fact of the matter that you could not find the Green Bay, the one touchdown that Laquan had in his Vikings career. Difficult to find. For a man who scored one touchdown in three seasons and averaged... Less than 10 yards per reception. It was difficult to find big, explosive, and exciting plays for Laquan Treadwell. But nonetheless, he is back. Courtney Crone of ESPN reported this morning, along with Adam Schefter, that Laquan Treadwell is back in purple. Do we know if he's wearing number 11, or did they retire it when he left? I, I can't Your sources this. told you. <laughs> um <laughs> Don't know about the number yet. Don't know where his locker will go because I do believe Drew Samia has his locker spot now. So what happens? Oh. Like you're a fourth year player, you get to come in and muscle the guy out. And... Uh, nope. Nope. Not. No. Nope. I don't Laquan. think you do if you got cut at the end of training camp. So this is awkward, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. comes back and says hello to BC Johnson. Hello. 
seventh round draft pick who beat me out for a job in training camp. Um, let's just go right right to the chase, though, Courtney. I mean, Laquan Treadwell's not going to play. This is a depth thing. Like from from every way that you look of the look at this, like they were down to three receivers, and for as much as they have not used their receivers very well or very just, um, you know, consistently and efficiently in the first three weeks, that's a scary place to be in. Yes, you have tight ends, and you're going to run a lot of two tight end sets, and they're going to be involved in the passing game, but true number-wise, you don't want to just have three receivers on the active roster. Now, I do think it is kind of interesting. It just shows you probably where they think the development is of a Dylan Mitchell, a Davion Davis, and Alexander Hollins, that they were nowhere close to trying to elevate somebody off of the practice squad just yet. Um because we also don't really know what's going to happen with Chad Beebe. Some sources that I spoke with this morning mentioned that it's an ankle, it's torn ligaments in the ankle, but it's not going to require surgery, yet they still don't have a concrete timeline. So when you hear that, the general school of thought right now is, okay, it's going to be one, two, three, you know, a couple games. And, and that kind of falls in that number right there. But they're not sure yet whether they're going to move him to IR if it becomes something like that. Until they kind of give it a week, let him rest, let him see how fast his body's able to heal uh, before making a determination on that. So in the meantime, bringing Treadwell back, yeah, it might be a way for him to kind of reignite his career. But is he really going to do anything? I don't think so. I mean, you know, it's not like they're like bringing him back to be the punt returner. I mean, they do need to figure out what they're going to do on that side of things. Fair uh, catch. W- Just fair, fair catch. catch. Yeah. Just stop trying to return them. I guess you could put BB out there if he fair catch, right? He stands still. <laughs> yes. I mean, he kind of well, doesn't have to run over to catch it. Find yeah. where the ball is. But... Uh, maybe he can hobble over to catch it, but uh, yeah. trying to return them is usually worse than just calling fair catch because you get penalties. Well, so we saw the one that was muffed. Fumbles, the other day. right? Yeah. Uh, maybe Mike Hughes goes back there and catches punts. I know it was already BC Johnson. Good. Suggested. That was that was something he did during training camp. On Twitter, someone did ask what's Marcus Sherrill's up to the other day after the uh, drop. Punt. I think he is actually He got an injury hurt. settlement from the Saints. Right. So I um, think he was injured. But anyway, aside from that, yeah. um, Laquan Treadwell probably not going to see the field. But as you mentioned, to not even really have the option, Chad Beebe had a 61-yard catch against Green Bay and was showing signs of at least being a reasonable option to have out there on the field. Mm-hmm. And now he's gone. And it also sort of puts his long-term career in question with this team, too, because Mike Zimmer said this in training camp. Like, the guy can play, but he just gets hurt all the time. And with his height and weight, it's this is not really like a Wes Welker. I know it's a short white guy, but like Wes Welker mm-hmm. was kind of thick and muscular, and even he got dinged up quite a bit. Chad Beebe is like putting a regular person out on the football field. I mean, he threw himself into a linebacker, and it was like he just got trucked. And for him... To get a penalty on that play after I went back and looked at the coach's tape and got a, a close look at it, it was like, what? I mean, get, getting steamrolled by a Mack truck is not a penalty on you, right? Anyway, mm-hmm. um, but it was just one of those things where I'm not sure that this guy can be on a roster going forward because they can't trust him to stay healthy. I mean, his biggest goal for this year was to stay healthy. As you said, I remember it was, what, week two of the preseason after or before the New Orleans game. Mike Zimmer was mentioning about the young receiver depth and that BB was really standing out among everybody. He's good. And he's really good. 
but he can't, he struggles to stay healthy. Last year it was the hamstring, and, you know, in college before that he had injuries at Northern Illinois, so it's been a consistent thing. Clearly his body has shown that it can heal healthy, uh, quickly, and get back to, like, full health because of his succession of being able to come back uh, and not have to miss an entire season and, you know, have constant nagging hamstring things that keep popping up. But I do believe, um, you know, at this point, he's probably, if he doesn't heal healthy, why don't I keep saying heal healthy? If he doesn't heal quickly here, if it's something where they have to put him on IR, then he has to take a pay cut or anything like that, his time's going to be numbered in Minnesota. So that's tough. I have some news about someone that we just mentioned on the show, Marcus Sherrill's. It has uh, been announced by the Vikings Vikings that Marcus Sherrill's and Laquan Treadwell. Have been signed to the team, and uh, Devonte Downs waived, and Chad Beebe put on IR. So, so there's your IR. Marcus Shales yeah. is indeed back. Um, I wasn't sure of what his status was after he left New Orleans, but who would be surprised? You need somebody to at least successfully catch punts yeah. and not fumble them. And so Marcus Sherrill's back. I mean, we we knew this, right? Like, uh, once he got released, it was obvious that Marcus Sherrill's would someday find his way back to the Minnesota Vikings, right? I mean, technically, he had to. technically it's emergency, emergency cornerback depth, too. Double yeah. whammy. Yeah. Here. Um, anyways, no, I mean, it's, that's, uh, I guess it's not surprising. I don't really know if there'd been too much speculation about it. I mean, sure, he was sitting out there unsigned after sustaining injury and getting a settlement with the Saints, but the position that they're in now, at least they have somebody who's explosive back there, who has done it for so many years, who's, you know, one of the best in fran if not the best in franchise history at returning punts. So it's probably I mean, you you, ex- you assume he's coming back in the same type of shape or at least the same player that he was when he left here in free agency, but um, I just need someone to not fumble. Just don't fumble it. I mean, he's been really good at that. So. He's been, yeah, incredibly consistent throughout his career at not fumbling the ball. And actually, this is crazy. I did, and now I feel like silly about it because he's back on the team. But when he left, I wrote an article sort of in appreciation of Marcus Sherrill's where I looked at some of his numbers and just how good he was at punt returning. And he has a higher career average per return than Deion Sanders did. Now, Sanders would have lost Mm -hmm. a lot of yards sometimes when he tried to do crazy things. And then we forget about those and remember his highlights. But Cheryl's just being consistently great in that one role. Uh, I think it's the right move to bring him back because every time they've tried to replace him, it fails. (laughs) This is a really hard thing to be able to do. And if you have turnovers on special teams, this is not a team that can afford to be given the ball away on special teams with fumbles like from from Chad Beebe. So uh, an upgrade there in the punt returning, but absolutely a downgrade at the number 3 wide receiver, which brings us back to Irv Smith and mm-hmm. the tight ends. A lot of three tight ends the other day. I don't expect to see a ton of B.C. Johnson against the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field, but I do expect to see, would you be shocked if it was 50 snaps from Irv Smith, especially the way he played the other day? Well, think about what happened last year. Like, I was trying to jog my brain about this. Okay, so let's say, let me throw the scenario out there. Like, let's say they are phasing out Rudolph, because that's kind of what it felt like um, last week, just given, and really not just last week, the last few weeks. I mean, he had the catch inside the red zone, the 11-yard tight end screen. I mean, he's very much been non-existent. He's been a good blocker, which in Chicago, of all places, do you want to put Irv Smith like next to Riley Reef or next to Brian O'Neill and have him have to go up against 
uh, Khalil Mack and anybody else in the defensive line. I mean, you might put him in there to chip, but if he's ever left one-on-one like we saw last year Kyle Rudolph was against Khalil Mack, not a good situation for a rookie to be put in. So I am thinking that his, you know, as we as we saw with Mike Zimmer, I asked him yesterday, like, how do you feel he's been incorporated um, in this offense? And he did catch a few more balls last week, but I do believe that the succession that we're seeing here is becoming a very steady thing that's only going to increase when you go to a place like Chicago where you're going to need more support in the run. Um, and honestly, getting as many guys on that line of scrimmage to block, like we know how tough it was last year. And I don't really think it's going to get much easier because that front seven is just as good. I think I do trust Irv Smith blocking more than Kyle Rudolph already. Okay. After three games. Looking closely at it in the run blocking, and I know that Mike Zimmer patted Rudolph on the head in his press conference mm-hmm. for his blocking the other day. I watched it back. Really wasn't like overwhelmed by how great it was. And historically, Rudolph has been one of the poorest blocking tight ends in the NFL. I think part of it is he is so tall that defenders can get around him, basically. I think Tom Compton kind of dealt with this, where he was taller and slender and quick defenders can get around him, and it's just it's a tough ask for him. But Irv Smith, someone brought this up, maybe it was Mike Zimmer, is kind of um not stocky at six foot three, but also not like super wiry tall. He kinda is is, is a weird little, hybrid little hybrid body. Yeah. It, even though he doesn't have that ridiculous weight of like two seventy or something like that, he's more like two thirty. He's a big wide he receiver. Can... He reminds me of somebody like Mike Evans. But not think, as tall, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that but type he, of body. But I think he's he's like strong enough yeah. where he can kind of get a hold of somebody and move them. At least that's what I've seen from these first couple of games. And by pro football focus metrics, he's had really good blocking numbers. I, I mean, running two tight ends the whole game and three when they want to use Tyler Conklin against Chicago, to me, makes way more sense than trying to put B.C. Johnson out there who's never played or Laquan Treadwell who's just shown us over and over again that he can't play. Well, I think that you already have seen this is going to be a two tight end offense very regularly. Nobody runs more 12 21 and 22 personnel in the NFL, um, generally speaking, than the Vikings do. I mean, this has been their bread and butter so far in three games. Um, and I think the tight end production in the passing game is only going to continue. Will we see that in Chicago? Maybe. But just in terms of the overall blocking aspect and the efficiency of that with your offense, you need more bodies there. So whether that's allowing Tyler Conklin, or excuse me, uh, Irv Smith to, you know, be that guy who's, either in a bunch or if he's, you know, lined up in the slot and he's your vertical threat. And if you have Tyler Conklin and Kyle Rudolph in there as blockers, I think you present pretty much a a better threat against this type of defense uh, that we know has been so tough for them. And the blocking aspect alone, I think more people are impressed with Irv Smith than I think you would have thought at this point of the year, because that's supposed to be the hardest part for tight ends is the blocking. And for whatever reason, I mean, yes, he did it at Alabama. But no draft site like oversold him on it or made him sound like, oh, he's so great at this. Like, he's a hybrid receiver tight end. I mean, he's a big, he's a big wide receiver. Is every single draft site out there saying he can catch the ball, he can line up as an H back, he can be in your backfield, whatever you want him to do. But I think the biggest thing I walk away with right now is thinking, hey, he's actually a really good blocker. Like, he did some pretty good things on Sunday that were very noticeable. I was very impressed by yeah. really all three games in the run blocking, especially. He's been pretty good. All right, got to take a break. First, I want to tell you about something. Yesterday, we did one for the Twins. Today, we're doing it for the Gophers. Um, scorenorth.com slash mission for 
meals. Here's what we are auctioning off. And the auction closes 8 o'clock tonight. So get some people together. Put in your bids. And this is this is tremendous. A suite for 16 people at a Gophers game against Penn State on November 9th. 16 halftime tunnel passes. So you have to 16? Go, 16. All your friends can come if you bid on this. Uh, what if you don't have 16 friends? I definitely don't myself. I, there's no way I could get 16 people to go somewhere with me. We can't even get a third or fourth for golf. Right? I know, like yeah, over the summer, go- like, is anybody, can anybody play today? No, let's we don't have that many lame. friends. Let's just, let's just throw it out there. Co-workers, you probably work with more people than we do. So 16 halftime tunnel passes. Mackie and Judd with Rami in studio experience and dinner for two after the show. And 100% of the proceeds donated to Union Gospel Mission. So go to scorenorth.com, Mission for Meals. Make sure you bid on that. It closes at 8 o'clock tonight. That sounds like an amazing experience. And uh, if you do not have the cheese to put down on that experience, you can't win the auction because you don't have enough money or enough friends, then you could just straight up donate. $29 buys a week's worth of meals for a person in need. So make sure you check that out. Again, scorenorth.com slash mission for meals. Robert Mays of The Ringer coming up next on Purple Daily. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. Trubisky comes out of the timeout in the short gun. Montgomery to his left. Takes the snap. Trubisky looking to throw to the end zone. Pass snared at the goal line. Intercepted. Intercepted by you-know-who, number 24. And he's running around like he's uh, just won something on New Year's Eve in Times Square. But Josh Norman with a swipe. Jonathan knows that one of my favorite things is salty announcers. Like when something goes wrong and they're like, fine, I guess it's an interception. <laughs> my favorite was the analyst. Oh, ah, dang. Yeah, no, that's that's a good find, Jonathan. Good job there. Um, Vikings playing the Chicago Bears coming up this Sunday. We quickly moved away from the uh, Oakland Raiders game. And maybe Robert Mays of the Ringer did so last night after uh, the Chicago Bears wiped the floor with Washington. What's going on, Robert? I don't know about that characterization. Maybe it's just my constant level of existential dread as I want the Bears to win. But I'm sitting there watching the third quarter, and all I can think about is, ah, the defense doesn't look that great. They can't move the ball anymore. I, I, the first half just instantly disappeared to me, which is that probably speaks to my, my own neuroses more than it speaks to how I should have read into the game. Yeah, it could be, because I stopped watching at that point. I was like, all right, this is taking care watch of... After, you didn't see all five interceptions? Uh, no, no, I didn't see all, okay. all five of the well, case I, I turnovers. I watched gun. Well, congratulations on that. I was forced to do that with Vikings and Raiders, too, because of my occupation. But, you know, I think, didn't, wouldn't you say, Robert, that they did what they were supposed to do, and you can't really learn too much 
when a team just smacks the hell out of a really bad team. Yes. I feel like the approach on offense was more what I would like to see from them going forward. Uh, I feel like you know the amount of easy completions, just the pretty simplistic kind of approach with personnel groupings, the type of throws they were asking Trubisky to make, that kind of stuff, that I was more happy with than I would have been in weeks past. But I don't think you can watch that game and create or kind of define any thoughts going forward as to their ceiling, what they can do in the division, all that stuff. I think that we're in a holding pattern as it refers to all of that stuff, but I do think it's a small step in the right direction. But what about the defense? I mean, the big thing we talked about last year was, in terms of the regression, was this defense isn't going to be able to score as many points off turnovers and everything like that, and the that being the big area of regression. And the Bears did score 24 points off Redskins turnovers, and that's the most that they've had off turnovers since 2011. Is it just a product of... Case Keenum being Case Keenum with the horseshoe around his neck and, you know, having a lot of injuries elsewhere and and all that? Or do you really think that this defense is at the same level it was at last year and potentially even better? I don't think it's, I definitely don't think it's better. And I don't think it's at the same level. I feel like if you watch the rest of that game, there are a lot of easy completions. I think that there are a lot of defensive backs kind of scrambling to get where they're supposed to be that you didn't see last season. You know, some of those turnovers, especially the, the Keenum one, but with the Trevathan fumble, that's something that the defense didn't do. The first one that Clinton Dix returned for a touchdown, that's an overthrow that the defense didn't do. The second Clinton Dix interception, the Fuller interception, a couple of the Mac plays, that's talent. And I think that they're still talented. But if you're going to, we're going to go through the entire season and we're going to kind of project what they're going to be for 16 games. I still don't think they're going to be the best defense in the NFL. I still don't think they're going to create the most turnovers in the NFL. That stuff is just so hard to rely on. I think they're going to be very good, but very good is different than generational, you know, kind of transcendent that they were last season. Talking with Robert Mays of The Ringer, um, do you want to talk about Mitch Trubisky? Is that like going to upset you? A bit here. Um, I mean, I feel like I can turn on a professional, you know, a professional <laughs> level when necessary. I, it's not going to make me happy, but we can have a rational discussion about it if you'd like. I mean, he was better last night than he was in the first two games. I think that's undeniable. Uh, the throw he made to Gabriel in the corner of the end zone, that's a better throw than he's made at any point over the first two weeks. I still think there are accuracy issues. I still think there are issues with how often they can push the ball down the field reliably. I think that in normal down and distance situations where an offensive coordinator with Matt Nagy's ability and with the amount of talent they have offensively where he'd be more aggressive, he is apprehensive to do that because he doesn't think he has a quarterback worthy of those chances. The amount of second and two runs into the line of scrimmage with Cordero Patterson, Tariq Cohen, David Montgomery, whoever you want to throw out there, it's disconcerting when you consider what you should be doing in those situations if the goal was to score points and to get first downs. So I have the same kind of reservations about Mr. Trubisky I had before yesterday coming into before what I had coming into that game that I do now. That being said, I think that he had enough moments yesterday where I don't think this season will absolutely be an out and out disaster the way I thought it might have been after the uh, the Denver game. 
So my question with Trubisky is, last year Matt Nagy did, I think, a terrific job of painting over all of the shortcomings for the most part, except for no one can help a quarterback who can't throw left like the Derek (laughs) Zoolander of quarterbacks. But uh, for the most part, though, getting playmakers the ball, quick throws, and my thought in the offseason was if opponents figure this out, figure out Matt Nagy, he's going to show us whether he's an, a real Andy Reid type of guy or not, because Andy Reid just seems to always be one step ahead of defenses all the time. And I'm not sure Matt Nagy has really shown that yet. I don't, I'm not sure that's a fair characterization. I don't, I don't think he's Andy Reid, because Andy Reid is the best play caller in the NFL, point blank, period. I also feel like Andy Reid's worst quarterback that he's ever coached in the last 20 years is Donovan McNabb. Andy Reid has a certain level of competence with the guys throwing the ball that Matt Nagy does not currently enjoy. So I don't know. I think that maybe that if they figured him out and he he can't figure out with Trubisky that there's a certain level of how good is Matt Nagy really. I also think that Mitchell Trubisky right now is a bottom seven quarterback in the NFL, and that's never something that Andy Reid has ever had to worry about. So – um, this is much more about Mitchell Trubisky's ceiling to me than it is about Matt Nagy's potential as a play caller. Okay, just one quick follow-up on that before I get into an actual question, because I need to bring this back to Sarah Spain at some point, considering we got in an all-out uh, knife fight on air a few weeks ago um, about Mitchell Trubisky and Jameis Winston. If you're ranking them, do you have Winston above Trubisky? Because I did, and that apparently started World War III first game. <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely do. Thank you. Okay, so now let's let's move forward to um, the game this week. And I don't know, Matt and I are kind of we were in the same situation as I guess what you're feeling coming off of this Bears game. You just that don't was really so know petty what that to... I haven't recovered from it right now. That was amazing. The game or no? You just now throwing. Okay, my yes, my ESPN radio. <laughs> I sometimes co-host with Sarah Spain, and that just had had to be. I had to put that out that there. That's tremendous. Now I'm going to text her and be like, oh. I have somebody else that does not that agrees with me because it doesn't usually happen. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were like a top five offensive efficiency passing game last year. Uh, it's the level of competence when Jameis Winston is playing even a decent clip is better than Mr. Trubisky has ever been in the NFL. I, I just I don't even know how that's a conversation to me. Thank you. I do appreciate the support. Anyways, so <laughs> Matt and I are coming out of this game on Sunday night, texting back and forth, being like, what do we actually learn here? It doesn't feel like there's anything you can glean except the very basic fact here with Kirk Cousins that he does he can be good against really bad teams. And, and I mean Oakland was awful, Robert. I mean just from if you, saw, if you thought like the things were unraveling in the preseason, like this is a team that could very well be uh, a two-win, three-win team this year. But take which is it, exciting because my team has their second-round draft pick, so I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. What for the Vikings as they go into Soldier Field, a place they have historically played poorly, except for that 2017 game, I guess just in recent memory. Um, how sustainable do you think what they did against Oakland? I mean, can you take any sort outside of the run game? Because we know that that's dynamic, and we know that Dalvin Cook will continue to be Dalvin Cook. But whether you can really run on that defense, I think, is is, a, is the question that we're looking at here. But for Kirk specifically, is there anything you, you think that you carry over from what you saw from him on Sunday into this game, thinking, hey, he's not going to have a repeat performance against Chicago like he did in Week 11 there last year? <laughs> Kirk Cousins thing is always so interesting. I've had I've talked to Matt about this so much, and 
I think that Kirk Cousins isn't actually an okay quarterback. And I feel like what he was in week two against a Green Bay defense that I think is maybe one of the best three or four in the league. Yeah, I, I think they have a chance to be a game-changing group. So if we throw that out and we want to have it more be about the middle ground of what he's been, I still have faith that he can be fine. And again, I don't think this Bears defense is quite what they were last season schematically. And I think the talent-wise, it's a slight step down from what they were. So I don't think we'll see quite the worrisome performances we did from him last year against Chicago. Do I think he's going to be good? No. But do I think that there's a recipe for them, especially against the Bears and going forward? Yes. I think he can do enough against this Bears team to win because I think that the defense is really set up well to give this exact Bears offense problems based on what they look like right now. Talking with Robert Mays of the Ringer. Robert, what is fine? What is like when you say Kirk Cousins can be pause fine? Is like, fine nine and seven like, with yeah. a with a wild card berth, or is fine I mean, fine as a ten win team? I think Kirk Cousins is a quarterback you can win with if everything else is going right. And I think that the, the right now the Vikings have enough for that recipe to be possible. He's in the middle tier of quarterbacks. And I think that most quarterbacks are in that middle tier. I think that outside of, you know, let's throw out the ones we think are infrastructure kind of independent. Uh, Mahomes is probably like that. Brady's probably like that. You know, the right kind of breeze is probably like that. But I honestly think that most quarterbacks fall in a certain middle ground. And, And I think that we've seen that with guys like Dak Prescott this year where he's a certain type of guy, and then if you make everything right, he can be really, really good. I just, I don't know. I don't think Kirk Cousins is a bad quarterback. I just feel like he needs a lot of stuff to break right for him, and I guess we're yet to see if that's going to be the case this year. Well, that's always a smoke and mirrors argument, right, if everything needs to be completely perfect in order for him to succeed, because we saw that during his best season in Washington, and they still miss the playoffs. Um, But moving on, Dalvin Cook is dynamic, and is perfect, in my mind. Uh, that's not any bias or anything. But, um, so so much wants to be made about this Bears defense, and can you run on them? Can you not? I mean, they're a top-five rushing defense. If you're Matt Nagy, or excuse me, if you're Mike Zimmer and Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak and thinking, okay, Dalvin Cook is still the answer for this offense, um, even against a team that's that good stopping the run, how do you scheme around Chicago's front seven and try to get Dalvin Cook ex- as explosive, give him opportunities to do exactly what he did the first three weeks of the season? I, I think that you try to be a little bit more in terms of balance on the side of let's give him 18 carries and let's have five of those carries, six of those carries be play-action throws in the middle of the field. Because I think that we've seen that with Chicago's defense. They flow so hard to the ball. And a lot of what they've tried to do in terms of leverages so far, we saw this last night against Washington, and the cornerbacks are playing outside a lot, and they're trying to jump stuff on the outside. And if that's the case, if you can kind of hit those in-breaking routes as the linebackers are vacated in the middle of the field, I think that is the correct strategy. I think if you line up and you try to run against them, it's not going to go well. Because this group is so good in terms of both talent and how they funnel this defense at stopping that exact sort of approach. And we've seen what they can do against a team like the Rams, where they just absolutely picked them apart last year with a team that likes to run outside, inside, you know, kind of middle zone. And can you, that cannot be the approach against these guys. And I don't think the answer is yes. So I feel like you have to try to attack the middle of the field off those play action throws, because that's exactly where they're vulnerable because of how much 
and how many resources they kind of contribute to stopping the run. Hmm. That's interesting because the Packers basically said, you know what? We're if, just going to hang out here on the edge. Right. Like. If, if you could beat us with the run, then go ahead and try, but we're not letting you have those bootlegs. And they blew up a bunch of plays, including the game-losing interception uh, by Kirk Cousins. One more thing for you, Robert. Just, you know, you went around to every city in the nation and talked to tons of NFL people in training camp. And one of the big things that's always a topic is kind of like, what's the shape of this 2019 season going to be? Just through three weeks, how do some of the conversations that you had kind of compare with what's really happened over these uh, first couple of weeks here? I feel like it's not, nothing's that shocking to me in terms of the trends, the approaches, the things like that, that I figured that I would saw, that figured that I would see. Dallas, I think Dow, I, I thought the Cowboys would be really good. Uh, I thought the Kellen Moore would be excellent. The way they've gone about it is a little different than they thought they might. I think that all of the fears I might have had about Cleveland have kind of come to fruition. Their problems are not things that were new or things that you couldn't anticipate. I think it's just the worst possible version of them. I think that the Eagles are worse than I thought they'd be. And, you know, that's something where you can't attribute to health, things like that, coming into the year. Mm -hmm. It's hard to understand what losing your top two receivers for two straight weeks is going to do to you. I think they'll be fine. I think Carolina is a team that I thought would be really good because I thought that Cam would probably be right by the time the season started. Watching them last week, and I know it's the Cardinals, I think they might be okay just based on the overall roster talent I thought they'd have. So nothing to me is completely outside of what I predicted might happen. I just feel like there are some teams that have become, you know, kind of the worst case scenario that I might have envisioned going into the year. What I can't decide yet is whether it's actually easier to play quarterback or it's just sort of a coincidence that some of the backup quarterbacks or Daniel Jones has the week that he had or Gardner Minshew has been able to do what he has done. Is it just small sample size? It kind of they took someone by surprise or had favorable matchups? Or is it really becoming that there are way more good people who can play quarterback than there are jobs? Like Did that, did that switch on I us? Honestly- I think that there are more good people that can play quarterback. Hmm. I don't know how sustainable that stuff is for the long term because I think that when guys have tape on certain people, everything else. But I don't think it's a coincidence that all of these air raid guys have come in and shown some level of competence in the first couple weeks that they've played because just purely the amount of times they've thrown the ball during their college career. Mm -hmm. And we can even extend that to Case Keenum to a certain degree. Case Keenum has been in the league for a long time. And I know Case Keenum isn't a star, but the fact that he's been able to sustain a career for this long, I absolutely think you can attribute that to the fact that he threw the ball so many times in college. The idea that most of the guys that are undrafted or underdrafted, whatever, that have been able to kind of stick around in the league are these air raid quarterbacks, I don't think that's an accident. Yeah, and we used to kind of look at those guys like, oh, you got to be careful for them. Those numbers are uh, fake because of how they play in college. You can't do that in the NFL, but now you kind of can. Um, so that's something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. What are you doing for uh, Sunday, Rob? Are you going to be there with us in the press box or what? I will not be. Uh, it's tough for me for those uh, Sunday games because i got to cover the entire league. So I will Fine. be watching... Uh, from uh, I will be watching from somewhere else as I watch <laughs> five other games at once. So, do you... Sadly, for it, 
If it were a Sunday night game like it was last year, I would have been with you guys. But unfortunately, that's not how it goes. Let's find more RC Cola for the both of us. <laughs> the fact that that's your favorite thing about the Bears press box, I just... Because it so, is the weirdest thing yeah. about the Bears press box in a very weird press box to begin with. That's like number one of like 69 things that are weird. And that Rick Spielman always sits right behind Courtney and I, which is just a problem. He keeps like, his composure. I will oh, give Rick okay. that. He knows I, how to keep his composure. No, I mean, for us. Have to deal with that, I will be watching from the comfort of my own house. So. <laughs> Petting your dog. Yeah, tell the dog we say hello. That's actually all we wanted to talk I, I to you about. I definitely will. See, I was with my mom this morning, and we went to Petco, and that resulted in her getting a new toy. So she's currently going after this raccoon, and I'm trying to keep her quiet. Um, I, I will expect tweets of that, video evidence <laughs> of that later. Uh, Robert Mays, one of our favorite people to talk with. Uh, we'll get together again soon, man. Thanks a lot. Anytime, guys. I'll talk to you later. Yep. Uh, make sure you follow him on the internet, on Twitter. I'm just checking what his... Is it just I at think Robert it's just Mays? at Robert Mays. Okay, at Robert Mays. If it's That's not, then follow that guy and, <laughs> follow and that tell guy. him we See what up. he's got to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you real quick, just uh, the reminded me that um, I worked at a job once where we had a lot of downtime, and another person and I that worked there, we would email historical figures... <laughs> Just and they would always go through like so. George Washington, did you cut the cherry tree? And we'd send the email or to what email address at George Washington or George Washington at Gmail. <laughs> and it's, it's somebody so, was this the grocery store? A, or was Abe this Lincoln? Um, no, this this was kind of a small side job, but yeah, that was. Did anybody ever respond? <laughs> no, unfortunately, no. But they went through though. You didn't get the thing back. Right. So like Abe Lincoln got it. He got the message. <laughs> What did you ask him? There's also, I don't know. You asked him about the Bears defense? I think I thanked him for freeing the slaves. Like, good choice, Abe. Good job, man. Thanks. Okay. Uh, Anyway, so whoever also has Robert Mays. It is Robert Mays. But if you try, I wonder who Rob Mays is. Let's see. (laughs) Nope, we don't want to know that. All right, let's take a break. (laughs) We'll come right back. Alex Boone will join us coming up at 3 o'clock. You'll listen to Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Well, after their 31-15 win over Washington last night, Chicago's feeling pretty good about themselves. Good morning football this morning was talking about the NFC North and how they rank the NFC North after three weeks and all teams with winning records. Here's what Nate Burleson had to say about the NFC North. You believe that the Bears repeat as NFC North champions after what you saw this past three weeks. It's tough to say that. I'm Call it right as, now. As much as I loved the Bears last year, I'm not getting that same feeling. They're just so up and down, so inconsistent. And when I look at who's trending in the right direction, of course the Bears are. Mm-hmm. you got to respect them for what they did. But Aaron Rodgers is also trending. I would right now say... I fear the Packers, then it's the Bears, Lions, close. If they have a big win this weekend, they are jumping the Bears for me. And then the Vikings, as much as I love Dalvin Cook and Kirk Cousins controlling that offense and being a game manager, I'm not that convinced. Ooh, Vikings fourth. How do you feel about that, Vikings fans? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Called him a game manager. 
What do we want to call him? Do we not know Why yet? is Game Manager so offensive? Can I ask people that? And please respond to me on Twitter, at Courtney R. Cronin, because I wrote an article this past weekend. Um, as with any article that brings up a controversial point, uh, some people will agree with it, some people won't. People are angry online. Yeah, yes. everybody's mad online always. But no, I mean, I, it's the raising the question of whether the, what the Vikings are trying. They still don't know what they have in Kirk Cousins. I mean, I think that there are ways to believe that they know, but like to truly say, okay, what are you seeing from him? Because you don't want to jump the gun, and he had one bad game. Like, he really had a really bad game against against Green Bay. Like, that's a fact. But you don't want to go ahead and say, all right, he is a game manager. Like, the Bears are who we thought they were, that type of thing. But I do think as you get a bigger sample size and you start to see more of him, because by the time he plays Washington, his former team, in week eight, so that's the middle point of the season, he'll have played 25 games here as a starter, which is about half of what he did in Washington. So by then... You really should know what you have without, like, you know, with a true, um, like, just sincerity. But I just don't understand, like, why is game manager so offensive? So if anybody wants to comment and let me know for quarterbacks why that seems to be such a bad thing. Because I think what Mike Zimmery said, he was excellent yesterday. And I, I, I think there still is some kid glove approach there that there still is. I'm not going to throw my quarterback under the bus for anything he does wrong. Because um, Kirk looked fine. I think he was fine. I wouldn't call him excellent on on Sunday. I think he was steady. I think he delivered a performance that he needed to in order to bounce back from the Packers game and also show you, hey, I can take care of the football. I can not put us in bad situations, and I can also make good throws. I can, you know, create take the opportunities that are created for me off play action and do a lot of those things and be successful with it. But lo and behold, I mean, is he the quarterback that's going to help you win the division? Is he the quarterback that's going to help you make a deep playoff push? I think that that's the question that we're trying to figure out this season with Kirk Cousins. And if being a game manager is that, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, given what the philosophy of this offense is and how it's played out so far. Now, we might have a different you know, mindset coming out of the next, you know, they played five, uh, four of the top 10 run defenses in the first, I think, uh 14 weeks of season, whatever the Seattle game is. That's the last one. So it'll be tough if you can't get Dalvin Cook going and you're relying on Kirk. But, you know, where things stand right now, I think it's completely reasonable to say, okay, this is what you have with Kirk Cousins. This is it. And it's okay. So two things. The reason that people don't like game managers is because game managers never really win anything. I mean, they they aren't the ones that you can rely on in big True, moments. They're not, but they're not. Of, they're not the ones who are always screwing it up. But that's the thing. Right. I think safe than sorry sometimes with quarterbacks. Yeah, you pay a lot of money for it in this circumstance. But would you rather have that than somebody who's taking, you know? Mike Zimmer didn't want Case Keenum for a reason because he kind of bucked the notion of being a game manager and said, "I'm going to go out and play backyard football and win games." Well, that's part two. Is that Kirk Cousins really isn't that. He's no. just, he's not a game manager or if he if you want him to be he's not a very good one. I mean somebody who is one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL in fumbles over the last 4 or 5 years. Somebody who didn't throw a ton of interceptions last year but in key moments like in Chicago when down 22 to 6 uh or was it it was yeah, it was 14 to 6 and then he throws the pick to make it 22 to 6. In Chicago, he throws one at the end of the half. I mean, like the big moments with the big interceptions, it happened a lot to him, and it's happened a lot to him throughout his career. The red zone interceptions that he has consistently had too many of, 
that's why he doesn't strike me as a, as really a game manager. He could be a very safe quarterback at times, but then he can also make the riskiest and most bizarre pass like the one that he made in Green Bay, and you just really never know what you're going to get. I think of when I think of good game manager, I think week to Carson week Carson Palmer. No, I don't think of it Carson Palmer. I thought he was kind of a gunslinger, right? Like just launching it down the field. Yards per uh, completion were always but at the he top could of the be league. he could be steady though. I feel like I, I feel like the word steady, consistent, methodical, like yeah, and none of these you know, things really like they, win games. No, though, they right? don't. But I mean, Teddy was all of those things in 2015, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, and I think that his label was wrong too. Because what, what, what would you have? Given him as a label, then. because he was he was considered a game manager because he was doing exactly what Mike Zimmer wanted him to. But every big situation when he had to make a, a really tremendous throw or complete a big third down, he was able to do that. And it shows up on the numbers when you look at them of how he performed when they were down by one score, or how he performed on third down and long. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in those situations. And that's up there with Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady when it was third and long. So I think he was more of a product, that version of Teddy. He might now be a game manager with um, just how long it's been since he's mm-hmm. played. I think that version of Teddy could have put up much better numbers had they needed to. But a lot of times with Adrian Peterson and with the defense they had, they didn't need to. I think with this offense, you're you're going to need a lot more than a game manager, A. And I don't think if you're talking about a game manager, you want it to be this quarterback. You want to be the guy who doesn't have key turnovers. And and maybe if we're talking about the highest end of game manager, is that like Jared Goff would be the but highest it, end of game manager? Because I think game manager and system quarterback have a lot of the same negativity uh, someone pointed it out to me on Twitter was when I asked the question. Game manager is an ego thing. It's being called average. That's from this is DJ eighty four. Um, I get it, but you're still one of thirty two quarterbacks in the NFL in a starter's role. I mean, there is going to be some sort of bell curve for where elite falls and where terrible falls and where average is right in the middle. I think what everything is different because of the contract and because of the expectations with sure. Kirk Cousins. If we're talking about a team, let's just pick out of a bucket. Um, Cincinnati, for example. They have a game manager quarterback. And Andy Dalton really is one because mm-hmm. he gets the ball out fast. He doesn't get sacked a lot. He tries to just get it to his playmakers. I don't see him as a high-risk quarterback. Derek Carr, very much a game manager. His only high risk the other day was throwing a horrible interception. But he had a high completion percentage. Didn't really move the ball a whole lot. Just trying to, and if they had played a great game against the Vikings, they would have been much closer. None really thanks to their quarterback, mm-hmm. I think, right? Okay. That's what I think of as a game manager who is not going to win you the game, but isn't going to lose you the game. And I think of Kirk as the exact opposite. Kirk can definitely win you the game with a huge day throwing, and he can absolutely lose you the game and has done so many times. Well, that's kind of my, where I'm at right now, thinking about this going into the Chicago game. Cause what we've seen in Atlanta, and in Oakland, where they got a huge lead and did not have to th- run, they did not have to throw the ball at all in the fourth quarter. But for the majority of those games, that's why Kirk had ten throws um, against Atlanta and what he did last week: steady, consistent, did not turn the ball over. Those things carrying that into the Bears game. Can you win with him as in in that sort of that game manager type role, a consistent, methodical, potentially even check down type approach? To what you're going to do, because as Robert mentioned, the play action game involving Dalvin Cook is going to be hugely important. 
in Chicago because you're just not going to be able to run up the gut. Not that Dalvin does that. You know, that's not his bread and butter. The outside zone, the cutback lanes, all things like that are important. But, you know, outside of that, there's, you know, there's ways to believe that Kirk in the passing game can be, I think, can get Dalvin Cook involved with it more on Sunday, but also himself getting involved, finding those quick out routes to Diggs and Thielen, which they're always there. They always seem to be there. They just, I don't know why, they just haven't gone to them the first three weeks. So it's a great question. How good does Kirk Cousins have to be this week against the Chicago Bears? And we're going to ask Alex Boone, who comes up next. We've got some other things, his reaction to Sunday's game, if he has any. And also, if it doesn't go well for Cousins, but the Vikings still win, What's the belief inside the room going mm-hmm. to be? We're going to ask Alex Boone that when we come back. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> it's Purple Daily. If we do get the lead and we'll continue to play good defense, and we keep the ball away from them, I think we have a chance to do some good things. I think it's a good recipe to be able to say, okay, they know we're going to run the football, and we run it, and uh, continue to eat the clock, especially if we have a lead. And when the other team is having to throw the football, I think we have a chance to rush the quarterback. That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, and former Minnesota Viking Alex Boone. What is going on, Alex? How are you? I am great, guys. How are you? Uh, we are jacked up here for football, man. I mean, this no, is... No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, no, you're he's not. definitely yes, not. Yes, I, I am. No, you're not. I have a neck roll on right now. <clears throat> no, you're not. You're not excited. I can tell in your voice, and I, I don't know how I feel about this you know, right now because... I think no, it's... You, it's, Dude, this is offensive line voice bias because you're like, no. I'm an offensive lineman, man. Let's play. I don't have that. <laughs> I have more of like, I'm a reporter. I go into the locker room voice. So it's uh, that's your bias, but we're very excited. Um <laughs> All right, Alex, where do you want to start with this? I mean, did you just immediately forget about everything you saw on Sunday because it was uh, an affront to the National Football League and move on to Chicago like we did? Or did you have things that you learned? Oh, no, there was definitely things I learned. Some some good, some bad. But at the end of the day, this game coming up this week is going to be epic. And I don't think people understand how epic it's going to be. How come? Because you have a defense that is just primed and destroying people, and now you have a run game on offense that is just kicking people's teeth in, and it's like, well, which one's going to move? Because you can't have both on the same day. Somebody's going to get ran over, and who's it going to be? That's the big question. All right, I'm not matching your intensity. You're right. See, you don't get it. Because I'm looking at this game, and I'm like, man, if you lose this game, you really go back in the north. You don't just go back. You go way back. Behind the Lions almost. Like, do you really want to go back that far? You better wake up quickly. Well, let's start here then, because it feels like there's a lot of similarities, at least in teeing up this game, that we can draw from the way Mitchell Trubisky performed on Monday Night Football and kind of the kid glove approach that Matt Nagy took there um, and how Kirk Cousins did exactly what they needed him to do, nothing more, nothing less, against the Raiders um, and how that's going to translate into, like, can he do that? Is that going to even be possible um, against the Bears in order for them to win? So, like, let's start with that question. Like, what do you think Kirk Cousins needs to do in order for the Vikings to walk away with a win at Soldier Field, which, you know, is notoriously a really tough place for them? I think the one thing he has to absolutely do is take care of that football. If you don't take care of that ball, even if it's one time, that's your chance right there. That's your game. 
you've thrown that game away. This defense, and, and even for me to think about this, because I'm still not wrapping my brain around the fact that people legitimately think Chicago's good, and it's really only because their defense can actually score points. So now you have two offenses on one team, because you're like, well... We're going to count for our defense to score at least, what, 35 points this year? Maybe 42? I don't know. We'll push the envelope a little bit. That's like a whole other offense. That's Miami right now. No joke. That's Miami. So you're saying, hey, listen, there's two offenses on one team. And not only that, but they can really get after the quarterback. And they like to do it. And they stop the run. This is just, if Kirk really wants to go in and win this game, you cannot turn the ball over any which way. So here's my question for you, Alex. How important is this? to Kirk Cousins to put on a good performance here because I don't think anybody in that locker room could be overly impressed by what happened against the Raiders or what happened against the Atlanta Falcons. I'm not saying I could do it, but Sean Mannion might have been able to do it. Um, I agree. but, But against Green Bay... I, you could see in the body language on the sideline after the interception, a lot of the players going, here we go again with this right. guy, the same stuff that he did last year. I think this is huge for Kirk Cousins for the rest of the season because there will be a lot of games with this level of intensity. Well, not only that, but I want to know, how do you really think the defense feels? Because they're going into these games and they're like, man, you know what? We're kind of catching a break. We're playing Oakland. I mean, Derek Carr just threw that game away. I mean, what were you? the whole game was just mind-blowing to me. Where are you throwing the ball? <laughs> Agreed. These out routes. These two-yard out routes, and it's like, you've got to stop. Like, eventually, you have to take the deep ball. You have to take the risk of losing the game. As an offensive lineman, I almost would love a quarterback that was like, you know what, guys? I'm sick of these five-yard out routes. I'm going for it. I'd be like, you know what? Throw it up there, dude. You heave that thing, and I'll protect you. Like I, I used to say that to quarterbacks all the time. You throw it up there, I got your back. And I would stand in front of them in an interception. Like, dude, I'll take it. Because I can respect that. I don't want to see these silly little out routes anymore and these tight ends and they're, they're you know, oh, they, they fell out of bounds. Oh, my God. Please make a play. But, um, you know, to what we were talking about, it's <laughs> – I almost forgot what we I were I felt talking the about. same way in the press box. I was like depressed watching that game. Like, well, it felt like the preseason. We, we called it the preseason for Derek Carr because you were playing like, let's just not like anybody get hurt was basically how the Raiders were that, trying to play on offense. That's what it was. And you know what it was? They were trying to look at where, where's Everson, where's Daniil. Right. Because the whole game, it felt like to me, Derek was like, I need to get rid of this ball right now. Yes. And you saw what happened when he did it. He got hit hard, and there was a couple times. I don't know if anyone saw this, but F did his you know the epic spin, spin move. move. Yes, on yeah. Cole Miller. Yes, on Colton Miller. And one time, Richie was so late to get out there that he ended up hitting Colton off of Ev. And I was like, man, <laughs> you know you're tearing an offensive line apart when they can't even be on the same beat. They're hitting each like, other. Yeah, when they're off sync, you know you've disrupted that team. So the question was about Cousins and how important it is for him to get the locker room and the rest of the team and the defense and everybody sort of believing in him. I think this is a huge opportunity for Kirk Cousins. I agree. I think he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. And I don't I don't agree. I think people are kind of upset because they're, you know, Kirk Cousins deserves more respect than being called a game manager. At this point, this year, let's just say this year, what has he really done? Agreed. He's done nothing. So I'm not even calling him a game manager. Listen, don't get tripped on again, okay? I'm glad you held on to the ball. That could have started the game off way wrong. Yeah, I mean, had you bad. fumbled that ball, I feel like that, that game goes differently for some oh, reason. absolutely. In my mind, when he fell down, I go, oh, my God, this is it. They <laughs> fell for the trap. 
Right, but he held on to the ball. So I go, oh, you know what? Maybe he didn't. He held on to the ball. Good job. And they were given a Raiders penalty. <laughs> they they would have gone three and out, but then the Raiders were like, oh no 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 right. no, we're not going to extend the drive. <laughs> get him going. It just you know when you look at this team and you're going into a hostile environment because this team is fresh off a good win and they know what's at stake. I think they're pissed off about how the Packers game went. They kind of just realized it hit them. So I think when you go in there, you say, hey, listen, let's keep it short. Let's keep it sweet. Let's keep it simple. Let's do a lot of zones, a lot of RPOs, and that's it. We're After that, we are not heaving this ball anywhere. If we're doing play action, if you notice, they had a lot of hiders this week. They Irf, did. They had Irf your Irf hiders. Smith. Hey, you know yep. what? You're welcome. Irv, you're welcome. <laughs> Simple job. I know I saw you doing it a couple times. I was like, God, I, anybody could have yep, done that. Yep, nailed it. But, you know, you got you to gotta have them quick answers for them for everything. Well, the tight end group is really fascinating because in this scheme, you expect it to be tons of t- two tight end sets, even some right. three tight end sets. Um, and I guess just early on, it didn't translate to that. But we did start to see Irv Smith get involved more in the passing game. He, cut a, he caught a couple more balls than he did uh, previously in Green Bay and against Atlanta. How important is that group going to be predicated off of the tight end screens? I mean, I know you were talking about just like get it out quickly, methodical type passing attack uh, to be able to, you know, get guys out to the edge, take advantage of some of that speed and spread things out a little bit. Like, what do you like truly look at here from Conklin, Smith and Rudolph? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. We saw we saw Rudy run this last weekend. He's slow. He's always been slow. Like. He was like, I scored that touchdown. Dude, you were lucky to get to the one, okay? I love you, but you were lucky. When you're looking at these guys, a tight end screen every now and then is great because it slows up the D-line. But you can't do too many because everyone starts to bite on that eventually. Mm-hmm. When you have your tight end staying in too many times, they're like, hey, listen, nobody lets their tight end block this much. So it's got to be a screen or they really are just this bad. So then everybody hangs around the tight end because they think, okay, there's no way you can keep this guy in this much. Like You're losing in a threat somewhere. So I think oh maybe once or twice a game. After that, chips across the middle, quick things. You know, hey, listen, third and four, third and five. Those you know, quick stick routes. We need something. Give it to them. Those are big guys. They're mismatches for a defense. We need to use them more. Well, that's the one thing I pull away from, especially that game last year in Soldier Field. I think it was Week Eleven, where we're watching the max protection just constantly throughout the game and there were certain times I don't I guess it's a product of play calling whatever where Kyle Rudolph's left one-on-one with Khalil Mack um, not a good situation for any tight end no. to be in and you know you, you certainly expect them to chip and kind of carry their weight on that too what impresses you the most about Irv Smith as a blocker right now in, in kind of giving you the confidence knowing that he can be that guy in certain roles when they're bringing extra guys to the line of scrimmage to help block against a really good defensive line Oh, yeah, especially this week when you talk about a good D-line. He's going to be huge. I mean, when you can get a mismatch of tight ends, and you know, people always say when you bring one to the party, and by one to the party I mean a tight end, because when you're looking at an offense, coaches used to say this all the time, when you bring one to the party and that's a tight end, you're going to bring a visitor, and that's somebody from the defense. So who's going to show up? And normally it's a safety. And that's still a mismatch because I'll take Dalvin Cook on a safety. That doesn't scare me. I'll take Dalvin Cook on a linebacker. Hell, I'd put him on Kendricks right now. I And I love Kendricks. I think he's showing up everywhere. But I think that Dalvin Cook right now could run anybody over. So you talk about these two tight end sets, who cares? Let him bring the strong safety down here. If he wants to party with us, he's going to get ran over like everybody else. And now you have the whole new play selection because you got two tight ends. We can start cracking guys down and pulling tackles. We can pull guards. We can run G plays. We can run counters. We can run backside zones. And we can run... You can can run crunches and traps and whams out of a two tight end set. You can run some of the greatest plays you'll ever think of. I swear to God. 
football. Oh, man. It's intense. So much football right there. But I think that's what they're going to have to do is the, the two yeah. tight end sets because they only have three wide receivers and Laquan Treadwell, which means three wide receivers yes, means that they could play. Do we even anticipate Treadwell being active? No uh, he might be active. Does he make but the forty six? Not getting on the field. No, I don't think. I mean, unless he remembers the special teams assignments, then maybe. Um, but I can't see him. I saw a lot of Vikings fans being like, "What? What? What?" Is like, look, he's not. Gonna it's play, literally okay? the lowest risk like, move possible. They were already paying. Him. Yeah, he how well. awkward though. I mean, Very how awkward. awkward. We were talking about this earlier. God, welcome back. <laughs> so we were just kidding. <laughs> the question is, they're going to be like, "Hey, listen, should we give you a test now or at the end of the week? How many plays?" Can you remember from that book? He couldn't remember him when he was on the team. Well, God, either so that or he dropped them all. Um, oh, he's terrible. It's it, he. Can you imagine being a first round pick and only getting a workout with Detroit? I yeah, mean, with the Bills. I, I, okay. <laughs> The only it, with Detroit still. Hey, they're three zero. It's fine. It stands. Yeah, yeah against, <laughs> the Bills. against the Jets, Giants, and uh, Cincinnati. I think Buffalo yes. has beaten so far. So, but uh, but either way, that's you can only get tryouts. No one even signs you after you were a first round pick, and then they bring him back here basically because he knows the offense. And maybe when Chad Beebe's healthy, he'll be uh, gone again, or Josh Doxson. But not the point. It's that Irv Smith now, Alex, becomes one of the most important players for this offense and going back and watching the game again this morning I was looking at Irv Smith and I just think he's been really impressive in when he caught the ball and made plays yards after catch but even more so in run blocking and if this guy can actually run block you now have a huge asset on your hands I think absolutely and you know Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I went back this morning and watched the game, too. There was a lot of zone plays where he gets in a great position. I mean, this kid's athletic. He can move, and he's strong when he's moving. And that's the important thing about a zone block, because you're going to be moving somewhere. So you have to be physically strong while you're running around with someone. But you look at these power plays. They need to get this power scheme going more. It's not going anywhere. Like, I'm watching you know, guys pull around, and they're running into tackles. Or I'm watching the running back run into a hole, and there's three guys waiting for him. I mean, you can't just uh, – eventually, people are going to cut your zone play off. Like, Okay, hey, listen. Everybody's going to start falling in the hole. That's the next thing. Linebackers start cutting people. They start cutting the fullbacks. They start cutting the running backs. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, hey, listen, we got to change it up. So then we start pulling to the outside. You got tackles going outside. Eventually, you're going to have to come back to the middle of the field. Mm -hmm. And when you do, you got to clean it up. And that's where this week they're going to have some major issues doing that. I yes. mean, to me, it just seems impossible. Akeem Hicks was hurt, but it seems like he's going to be able to play. Eddie Goldman is also a monster. You would have played against these guys. I mean, I did. How, yeah. how tough is that, right? I mean, Goldman is gigantic. Hicks is a, a complete beast, one of the top, I think, three players at his position in the league. How tough is that three-man front there? And then you add, of course, Khalil Mack into the mix. You didn't play against him, but then no. now he's part of that defense that was already good when you would have gone against them. Yeah, no, I played Khalil when he was in Oakland, and that was back before he really had any counter moves or knew how strong he was, so that doesn't really count. But to Akeem Hicks, I played Akeem when he was down in the Saints, um, and that was before he realized how good he was, and that's when we used to beat the crap out of him. <laughs> but he used to do this thing where he would start five yards off the ball, and he'd be standing up. And I mean, he all six foot eight frame of him, three hundred fifteen, okay, maybe three hundred fifty pounds. And on the snap, he would run as fast as he could. He'd just try to bulldozer you. And I don't know why, but. 
we used to have so much fun with this guy. Like, we would do stuff like that. We would cut him, or we would pretend to cut him. Like, you know, and now all of a sudden he's just destroying people, so he's realized how good he is. But you want to talk about guys that are hard to move. They're instinctually good at finding the ball. They, they understand their weight. Like, Akeem's so hard to move because he knows that when he drops his hips, you're not moving him. There is nobody that can move him when he drops his hips. So as long as he knows where the ball is going to be around about, he'll get to his spot and drop his hips. And then you're like, okay. Well, somebody's just going to have to run around you, dude, because I'm like, I can't move you. I physically cannot move you right now. Yeah, and that's what happened in both games last year, is that they physically could not move him a But you know how inch. you get him? This is how you get him. You get the toss plays going. Mm-hmm. Greg Roman used to say, get the fat boys running. And that was so <laughs> true, because once they get running, they, they, they become distorted. Right? They're like, listen, I don't know if it's outside or inside. I don't know if it's power or counter. Like. When you get them moving, for some reason, their brain is like all over the field then. And they're like, man, I got to make plays. I got to shut this down. Now the linebackers aren't making plays. Now they're gaining yards. You know, that takes them out of their element. When you're running tight zone and, you know, ISOs, that's their game. Yeah, dude, I don't want to move. I want to stay right here. Get me running. Now you got problems. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Matthew Collar, Alex Boone, Courtney Cronin. Before we take the break, want to tell you about what we're doing for Mission for Meals. Go to scorenorth.com slash mission for meals. And up for auction until 8 o'clock tonight is a suite for 16 people at the Gophers game against Penn State on November 9th. 16 halftime tunnel passes. You also get to sit in with uh, Mackie and Judd and Rami here. You get dinner for two after the show, and 100% of the proceeds will be donated to Union Gospel Mission. So the bidding, it closes at 8 o'clock tonight, scorenorth.com slash mission for meals. And if you don't have the uh, cash to pony up to win that auction, you can also just straight up donate $29 buys a week's worth of meals for a person in need. All right, how much do the Vikings need out of Kirk Cousins to beat Chicago? Let us discuss with Alex Boone and Courtney Cronin when we return here on Score North. In those two games where we got up, there's no need to throw the football and, you know, when we're up by three touchdowns. You know, again, they're not always going to be like that. Uh, we want to be balanced. We want to get the ball to everybody. But we're going to run the ball, too. So, you know, the first play-action touchdown that we threw was partly because of the run game, you know, guys sucking up on the run. So when those things happen, typically good things happen in the play-action, which I've been saying for many, many years. Mike Zimmer does have to be getting tired of being asked every week, like, Mike, do you actually like hate your quarterback and now want to never throw again? <laughs> Tell us the truth. How many different ways can we ask before we can bait you into saying, okay, I don't want Kurt to ever throw it again. All right? Someone's Aven- going to get him to say it, though. That's Aven- the problem. Yeah, it's, eventually he'll snap. This season? Are we expecting it now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Soon, watch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe this week. Because the kid gloves, yeah, I mean, I get, I get that, Alex. I mean, the kid gloves have been like Mickey Mouse size oh, yeah. this like the last two weeks and dealing with Kirk <laughs> and not in being very careful to word things so you don't come across as throwing him under the bus. But as Matt and I have talked about for the entire year leading up to this, like what is it going to take for the gloves to come off and him to be like, he screwed up here, here's what he did wrong, he is accountable. Uh, I think if they lose this week and he puts up these... Pop Warner numbers. I think it comes. Off. I think the gloves come off. I was and feeling the same way because I mean, it, enough's enough, and, and clearly he knows that we know 
we're not stupid. We see it all over your face. Like we're all upset too. So let's just stop hiding behind it. I think that you, I'm, I generally think you would get better traction if you were just honest. And that was my biggest gripe with him was that he would go say something in the media and then turn around and tell us something different. And it was like, listen, if that's what you mean, then say it. It's fine. It doesn't bother me. It might bother the guy next to me, which bothers me. But whatever. I'll figure it out. You know, it was the constant back and forth in the, you know, going to the media and saying something and then turning around in the media, in the meetings and saying, nah, guys, I didn't mean that. I didn't, I didn't mean to say that. I was just kidding. You know, it's like, no, dude, you did. No, you're 100% right because when he said about Anthony Barr that yeah. he has a tendency to coast – that upset some people in the locker room. And then Zimmer claimed in another article later that he was not joking, but it was something like, well, I didn't mean it the way you guys took it. And like, Mike, we were all standing there. Well, we know exactly was, how you meant it and what the question was. That was done. I, I talked to Anthony about that this offseason. That was the reason that blew up so much is because Barr had to find out via a certain reporter who loves to wave his recorder in people's faces um, from a press conference. Like that happened in a press conference. And then Barr's asked, hey, what'd you think about uh, your coach calling you saying you're coasting? So that's, I mean... Probably not the way to do it. Like, I think if there's a comment like that, that probably goes, Alex, to the player first before it's said in the media. See, and that was another one of my biggest gripes was, like, he would shoot his mouth off right after a game instead of coming to us directly and saying, hey, listen, I need this worked on. Not only that, but sometimes you just know the player. Like, you know you can pull guys aside and say, hey, listen, all right, you're coasting. I need more. You're doing this. Mm-hmm. you got to pick it up. You know, you're, there's – there's like a level of friendship that like you're almost family, but you're not family. You know, like you have the inside track to everybody, so you can always be honest with people. You can always be straight with them. Hey, listen, you really suck lately. I need you to pick it up. We need to get better. We're going to get better as an offense, get better as defense, whatever it is. You know, I've heard coaches say that to guys before. When you just go out to the media and say things, that hurts guys because it's like, dude, come to me first. Don't, don't, my, my mom doesn't want to read that. My grandma doesn't want to read that. Okay. I, I don't want to read that. Just come to me. Tell me. We'll fix the problem together. Yeah. I, I mentioned this to a present uh, NFL player that post game press conferences get seen by everyone's family. Like, everyone's family wants to know what you said about the game or what you said about them, especially when it comes to the coach, the quarterback, and so forth. Um, They always want to see what they're saying about everybody else after the game. And if their whoever, their husband or their son or whatever, is getting thrown under the bus for something, and that's where I think it becomes even more difficult for players that if you're dealing with tough times out on the field, and then your family is, why did the coach say this about you? What's his problem? And so forth. Right. And it kind of builds on itself. Now, we like Mike Zimmer's straightforwardness in those post-game press conferences, and that's why it is kind of interesting, though, because those criticisms that you just had are completely fair, but he has not done this with Kirk Cousins at all. It's always been, Kirk was great today. Kirk was okay today. But Kirk, Kirk made that one good throw. Let me let me bring this out there. What's the what's What good does he get out of throwing him under the bus now, knowing that he's under contract? contract through next year it's fully guaranteed i think it's a better approach not to throw him under the bus yes i mean there's i don't think can criticize him because he knows what's at stake here you can't you want this guy to have a mental breakdown because he can't handle the type of pressure i mean somewhere case keenum's shrugging his shoulders saying are you kidding me he said i had a horseshoe around my neck and you're you're saying this guy played excellent for a very average um do nothing more do nothing less type game yeah and I think the bigger picture is you guys are forgetting not only Case Keenan, but how about guys in the locker room, right? Like, I've been thrown under buses before. I know lots of guys that have been thrown under buses. But imagine being a guy that's been thrown under a bus, and you see the guy that should get thrown under the bus, and you're like, wait a minute. This has been going on over a year now. What are we doing? 
Mm-hmm. Is this guy really going to walk on water through everything? Is everything always going to be everybody else's fault? Now, granted, there's a lot of blame to be thrown around, as there always should be. It's a football game. There's a lot of criticism that comes from games. So, you know, when you turn around, the problem is people go, wait a minute. It's been over a year and nobody said one bad thing about this guy. And we didn't even go to the playoffs last year. And mainly because it was his fault. So right. let's really start talking because that's how guys get pissed. That's how the corners get filled with guys talking about conspiracies going, hey, listen, here's the deal. Okay, I'm going to lose it if you don't. If you don't lose it within the next week, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> I'm done with this. I can't deal with this anymore. I, 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 I had guys here do that. Hey, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm going home. I'm never coming back. It was like, oh, my God, is he going to come back? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? If he doesn't, we got a backup for him, I think. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? And that's why this game is so humongous, I think, for Cousins. Because last year, early on in the season, he had some moments where he showed resiliency against yeah. Green Bay, against Philadelphia, which is a game that, to me, can't be overlooked when you're talking about the big stage. I think that was a 325 one, wasn't it? Which like one? similar on the Philly? road, Philly, similar yes. type of feel, yeah. right? Like sort of scene of the crime type of thing that he had to go back to Philly where they had lost before. And it's the same thing with Chicago. He's got to go back there and deal with the nightmare that is Soldier Field for this team. This is a huge potential turning point for Kirk Cousins, I think, in his Vikings career because all those things you described, Alex, those don't happen if Kirk Cousins comes out, throws for 300 yards, gets them ahead in the game, they win with Delvin Cook the way it's supposed to be done in the NFL in 2019, get ahead with the pass and then pound their faces in and win, have the defense shut them down, do what Kirk Cousins is supposed to be getting paid for. If he does that, I think that that's huge for people getting behind him in that locker room because right now they're looking at it saying... Yeah, that guy's getting a lot of money for a couple of games that we kind of won for him, and then another game where he threw away, we should be 3-0. and I don't know if it's me, but I feel like you just woke up. Like You got real excited over there for a minute. Like This is how it needs to be, and you're right. I just hit a bag. I just like there was this one of those, uh, you know, the, those those things that look like a guy. And you just have to pound into it, the sled thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just hit that. Like I turn off my mic so you can hear it, but bam. <laughs> Listen, how? I agree with you. I, I think that to, to come out – if you can go into Soldier Field and you can show that you can win without having to have Dalvin run for 150 yards, you prove a lot to the team. And you, they'll show your resiliency. It'll show a lot to the coaches. It'll show, hey, listen, maybe this isn't the guy we think he is. He can show up in big games. That's his biggest knock. He doesn't show up in big games. And you can't just have Dalvin do it all. He physically cannot run you the entire season into all the playoffs. Not going to happen. So the headline on – we have ESPN and on – in the studio right now, and everything's talking about, did Mitchell Trubisky convince, Trubisky convince you last night that he doesn't stink? And I think there was something very similar to that on uh, the show that was beforehand. And I don't know. I walk away from Sunday's game here against Oakland and watching the Monday night football game last night thinking neither of them had an awful performance, uh, all things considered. But with Trubisky, I'm just wondering, because I, I feel like there are parallels you can draw from the way that the defense and the run game has supported Kirk and the way that especially the defense in Chicago has supported Trubisky. In the latter, how much longer is that going to be sustainable? Because um, we know that the defense in Chicago has regressed in a certain right. in certain areas, and you know this, the Bears still scored a lot of points off turnovers at the hand of that defense. But how much longer does that continue? Because they lay an egg against Green Bay. 
But then they have, you know, the Broncos, and that game comes down to a field goal. Last night against a team that I don't even think has a pass defense. Like, you know, how much longer can the Bears keep doing what they're going to do before their little formula to success more or less wears out? I mean, it's not going to be long. I, I don't think that Mitch Trubisky is any better than Kirk Cousins. I really don't. People say, hey, listen, he's a great quarterback. What has he done to show me that he's a great quarterback? Yeah, he underthrows a lot of balls. Mm-hmm. I get that. Like he, A lot of those catches look sweet because the receivers have to stop to come back and get the balls. Like, oh, that was a fantastic catch. Literally, that was fantastic because that ball should have been thrown in front of him, not behind him. So I think when you're looking at these teams, you say, hey, listen, they're built very similar. What's the biggest difference? The biggest difference is the Bears defense scores points, and a lot of them, and they're hoping that they do. And everyone's really banking on this Bears team being good because of this defense. If this defense doesn't score as many points as they did last year, they're not going to the playoffs. They have more competition in this division to face this year. The Lions are shocking everybody, and the Bears offense is is it's not regressed. People have finally caught up to it. They get it. The smoke and mirrors trick doesn't work anymore. You can only motion somebody so many times before someone goes, listen, that's just a zone play, okay? You guys are all looking at this play like you don't know what it is. It's a simple zone. It's just two different motions with it. You know, you can't keep fooling defenses with that silly stuff. Yeah, and that's kind of what it looks like um, happened last year was Matt Nagy found all these ways to paint over uh, right. Mitch Trubisky's shortcomings, but at some point you have to make a throw. And now here's what's uh, sort of come into my mind the last couple of days after watching what the NFC North has done. The NFC North only has two total losses, and both came against other NFC North opponents. Against everyone else, the NFC North is undefeated. And... <laughs> I started to think, and maybe you guys could tell me if I'm being ridiculous here, that Detroit, because of their quarterback having a lot of talent, and he might not be quite as talented as Aaron Rodgers, but Rodgers, as we know, Alex is washed. Uh, so, like, I'm starting to look at Detroit and say, are they are they the ones with the quarterback who can actually be the difference maker in some of these big games? Because Cousins hasn't done it. I don't believe in Trubisky. And, and of course, Rodgers can do it as well, but not quite how he used to. This division, to me, is is very hard to figure out, but it's hard to make an argument when the other teams win with defense and with running that it's not going to be advantage Rodgers and Stafford in this division. I, I still think it's week four we're going into. I think we're all getting ahead of ourselves. You said to get excited, man. <laughs> no, I, I just agree. got real excited. But when you start talking about the Lions, like possibly going into the playoffs, you're getting a, you're putting the horse in front of the cart. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, you have gone way out I there. I think and it's the cart in front of the horse. Was it the cart the, in front of the that horse? Works. Yeah, because the horse does belong so in said, front of the cart in front of the horse. No, you said horse in front of the cart. No, you did. No, you did. Actually, Detroit, Detroit could go 0-3 in their next three games. Kansas City, Green they Bay, and, and Minnesota. Yeah, so. we're, we're not saying that the division runs through Detroit just yet, no. but we're also not not saying but that, these, right? But these like, teams, yeah. through, three weeks, through three weeks, they look extremely closely bunched together. That's my point. Yeah. Even and including more, Detroit. More so than in other divisions. I agree. Like You look at some of the other divisions, there's one team that's clearly on top, and the rest just kind of fall away to the wayside. I, I agree. This is four tough teams in a division, and... and they're built. They're built on their defenses, and and people say, "Hey, listen, there's some good quarterbacks." There are good quarterbacks. There's Aaron Rodgers. He's going to get you some wins. He's a great field leader. I mean, 
Matt Stafford to me was always a really good quarterback. I just felt bad because he took a lot of hits, and I felt like mm-hmm. that always deterred his game. That that poor guy took some of the hardest hits I've ever seen, and he still gets up and still plays. Like that's why I've always been a huge fan of his. I think that they're getting this run game going a little bit. Their defense is coming around the the Patriot way a little bit. I mean, it's it's making an interesting division. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, it's neck roll time. Oh, we are God. handing out neck rolls for acts of toughness. In the NFL this week, Alex Boone, Courtney Cronin from ESPN. We'll be right back here on Purple Daily. Time for the Score North download. Jonathan here with this hour's download. And uh, if you wanted some comedy this morning, Good Morning Football was also the place for it when they brought this topic up. We think the Bears are Super Bowl contenders. Do we view them that way three weeks in? There's still questions about them. I think last night was really important because there's been so much focus on Trubisky. I think Matt Nagy has not had a great season. He's been very, very flat, a little tight maybe. Last night, Matt Nagy flexed a little bit too. He had these crazy goal line plays. He's doing full house backfield, but Cordell Patterson's getting carries. He's putting them in awkward positions. But the question, are they a Super Bowl contender? Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. Because they have the best defense in all of football and they still have a quarterback who can make plays. Yeah. They were saying that the Bears are Super Bowl contenders. Your thoughts on that one over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment today of Purple Daily. Once upon a time, the NFL was tough, and the fullbacks wore neck rolls. Each week, we learn that the league hasn't gone soft, and for the player who demonstrated the most grit, we award the neck roll of the week. All right, it is that time again, everyone. Neck rolls of the week to be handed out by myself, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin from ESPN, and Alex Boone as well. Uh, Alex, do you want to begin with your neck roll of the no, week? No, you guys, you guys go first. Okay, all right. Then I'll start with Elvin Kamara. Here's why. Because not only did Elvin Kamara carry the ball 16 times and catch it nine times in the win over Seattle, not an easy thing to do out there in Seattle. Also great to see Teddy Bridgewater back and playing football and winning a game that a team usually wouldn't win. He does that a lot. Uh, but Elvin Kamara at one point ran basically right through Jadavion Clowney. And to me, that's a neck roll. Not only carrying your team, being the playmaker on the ground, through the air, uh, helping out Teddy Bridgewater on a lot of short throws and creating yards after the catch, which takes some toughness. But running right through Jadavian Clowney, that's a neck roll for Alvin Kamara. I like it. That was a good, that was a damn good game, too. That was. I really enjoyed that, that. How about yours? Um, mine is going to also be a running back. Uh, we always talk about Dalvin Cook and the elusive speed and you know the outside zone runs, and that's all cool, and that's all really good. I like watching the neck, NFL Next Gen, how they've... Like brought about like speed of like fastest yeah. ball carries. That's cool, but um, there's one play that I would like to bring up right here. Where is it? All right. So in the third quarter, this is a play that set up the Alexander Madison touchdown. It's two plays before this. Um, third quarter, eight minutes and forty six seconds remaining in the third quarter. I. Uh, he has this run, goes for 15 yards, just down into the uh, Raiders red zone. Was where, it a toss? No, it was a run. I'm watching it. I'm rewatching it back right now. Um, he takes a handoff from Kirk, makes he, one guy miss, he did makes take another a guy lot miss, of handoffs. makes another guy miss, takes six or seven oh, guys to bring play. him yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's just like the one where he bro- like broke yes. four tackles. Yeah, and Carl yeah, Joseph right initially gets, uh, you know, eventually gets credited with a tackle there. But to me, 
This is the part of Dalvin Cook that reminds me of Adrian Peterson when I watch him because of the in-between the tackles. And I know that's something Mike Zimmer was so jacked up about um, after the game, just fighting through contact, earning those yards after contact. And right now, like from that game alone, I looked up the stat on it, 12 rushes for 84 yards between the tackles on Sunday, and that was 7.7 yards rush, which that's, you know, I think for Dalvin, I mean, that's the type of stuff that you do worry about in terms of your body breaking down as the season goes on. How sustainable is this? But when I'm watching that and watching him just, you know, with these cutback moves and making guys miss and then, you know, fighting through four running different guys, through running people, through yeah. people. You don't he, see that a whole lot no, for someone his no. speed. His, in his size, too. I mean, here's your neck roll. Like, please wear it proudly. <laughs> All right, Alex, who are you giving a neck roll to? I think everybody knows. I, I, I got to go with this guy, this special fullback. He's a true fullback. He's from Harvard University. Plays for the San Francisco 49ers. Do you need Ky- the pronunciation? Can you do it? Kyle Juszczyk. You got Perfect. it. Yeah, that's well right. Done. Kyle Juszczyk. I'm a true football fan, believe me. This guy, I've been a huge fan of his, not only because he is really tough, but because he's really smart. I love watching him play, but I don't know if anybody saw what he did to Micah Fitzpatrick this weekend. It was almost sad. I mean, it was the way he threw him down was almost incredible. And it was every bit worthy of a neck roll. It was a one armed throw of another human being. It was like, it, it was it like was um, a WWE, but the other person is usually in on it on yes. WWE. <laughs> yeah, nobody told the, the, the Steelers player, hey, listen, uh, we're going to do something. No, no, it was tremendous. And Kyle Juszczyk, what a player he is. I mean, he, he is a fullback, but he's yes. like a tight end, a running back, a receiver at times. They'll line him up at wide receiver and have him go deep. And like, how many fullbacks can do that? He's like, he's like the modern Larry Centers, but with a taste of Lorenzo Neal. Hey, it's so funny you brought that name up because I just talked to Lorenzo Neal this morning. We were talking about Kyle Juszczyk and and his run, and I got him really fired up. And he was like yelling and screaming, and I was getting scared. And then I don't know what happened. It was awesome. Oh man, fullback the fullback fraternity of. uh, Would you have Would you have made your neck roll? uh, Had CJ caught that slant? And Possibly he had broken a, through somebody. He had a block. Now, if it had been, it was a defensive back. But he had a block where he left his feet and knocked a guy down like a bowling pin. That was hilarious. <laughs> but he was a defensive back, so I was like, I don't know if you get a neck roll for that. It's if tough. that had been, if that had been a linebacker, yes, you get a neck roll for it. Or if he had caught a slant, that's pretty good. If you got a fullback out there who's running slants, that's not bad. Uh, but there are our neck rolls of the week, and I love that. Uh, that you talk to Lorenzo Neal because he's an all time. Is he still doing Alex? Is he still doing radio in the Bay Area? Yeah. That's why I talk to him every Tuesday. I do the breakdowns for San Fran. So him and I get really excited. Oh, that's awesome. We were talking about Nick Bosa. We were talking about Juszczyk running through that guy. I mean, he's so it's so weird to me because having known other fullbacks, they're a little bit on the crazy side because they're like the guys like, hey, listen, you have I to need be. you to run into that wall all day. <laughs> and they're like, you got it, dude. Let's go. <laughs> Hold my beer. You know, I mean, like they're super funny guys, but they're mostly smart too because they have to know how to navigate through an offensive line. So they're really fun to talk to. But when you talk to Lorenzo, he's so soft-spoken. He's like, now I have another question. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like whoa, man, you're going to have to speak up because I'm getting excited. You're not excited. Is it me? Is it you? What's going on? here drives me nuts uh so one time in in terms of our fullback stories i was talking to a running back who had played with sam gash and just before i started the interview is about something totally unrelated i was like hey man you played with sam gash he was pretty cool right i i I, you know he used to play for buffalo a little bit and the guy was like 
he started to get emotional talking about playing with Sam Gash. He's like, that guy was in my wedding. He's like one of the best people I've ever met. I was like, wow, I just loved his neck roll, man. It was amazing. <laughs> that dude was unreal. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. There was a game, Alex, there was a game I was watching in, from 94 with the Patriots where they would let Bryce Pop come free and block him only with Sam Gash because he was like a tackle. Like he could take on any outside linebacker. So they were just like, yeah, try to beat Sam Gash in, in pass pro. You won't do it. Really? Um, yes. It was, it was, yeah, it was fun to watch. I could. I can so, send you that game. I have a but, serious question. Anyway. Did you just say you were watching a film from 1994? Oh, oh, this is normal. Yes, he does, all the time. He, when he wakes up at 3 in the morning because the dog has to go out and he can't go back to bed, he's do, tweeting about that or probably, so, yeah. So the, See, I don't have Twitter, so I don't know all this. Here's, but here's the thing with YouTube is once you watch a couple of things like this, it starts to send you That's more. True. So. That's true. I wa I started watching a couple of old games and then it sent me all sorts of old games. So the other day I was watching a Giants Vikings playoff game in the Meadowlands and it's Ooh. like sixty degree winds and three degrees and Jim McMahon is the quarterback and he's got gloves on and a visor and it's just amazing. So all the old all the old football stuff is is tremendous. Um before we let you go and then you and I'll talk again on Thursday for two hours, Alex. What else has stuck out to you in the NFL through three weeks now as our sample size starts to grow? I asked Robert Mays this earlier. Just, I mean, is there some sort of trend that you're noticing that has sort of caught your eye? Or, I mean, because I, I guess I'm still trying to get a feel for a lot of different teams. I think that the trend right now is that this league is, is just going to be an up-and-down year. And you can see it by all the undefeated teams. I mean, there's a lot of them right now, but the you're looking at the teams and you're like, wait a minute, that team's undefeated? Right. <laughs> like, I thought that what the Bills were doing was very admirable. I really did. I was a big fan of Bean. I think that what he's doing in terms of recruiting and bringing guys in, he's like, hey, listen, I need this guy. I need this certain guy. I like his attitude. I like his chemistry. I want this guy. People are looking at him like, dude, that's not even a big name. He's like, that's great. I don't need a big name. I just need the guy I want. And he's doing a fabulous job because they're 3-0. and Nobody thought they'd even be 0-3. So to turn around, I mean, you're just looking around the league and you're like, man, what is going on? And another thing, too, is is injuries. And that's one thing mm-hmm. that you just can't predict. Yeah. And you can't ever account for them. And, you know, you go do your predictions in the beginning of the year and you turn around at the end and you're like, well, I didn't think that Ben was going to be out the whole year. So I'm, <laughs> right. I'm way off here, guys. I didn't think Teddy Bridgewater was taking over week four. I'm sorry. Right. Screwed up. But that's one of the things that it shakes the league up because you're like, well, I guess that takes that team out of contention now. Right. The Steelers, I'm sorry, you get the best O-line in the league, which you almost do. You don't have a run game, and now you don't have a quarterback. You're in trouble. I'm sorry. That's just the way it goes. One thing I walked away from uh, after week three was just like this feeling of sadness, almost, uh, after watching or watching back as we were at our game at the time as the uh, Ravens-Chiefs. That really upset me because I was... Because ex- you wanted to be watching that instead of what we well, had yes, to see? Well, of course, yes, but just to see, I mean... They're going to the Super Bowl, right? Oh, the I know. Chiefs? It's just like I was expecting so much more out of that game, and for the Chiefs to walk yes. in there and basically annihilate everyone from the start, like that was disappointing to me because I was there was so much buildup for that, and there still I think is so much buildup around around Lamar Jackson and what he's doing yeah. with the Ravens. I don't want to lose hope completely. That I just think they ran into the best team in the NFL to go for three seventy four three touchdowns like Mahomes did against a Ravens defense that yeah. I think is fantastic is truly incredible. But but I think they're fantastic. But you're also forgetting. They're a little hurt in the back end, and they're missing C.J. Mosley. Like, people have gone from that defense. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. th- don't get me wrong. It's not the same defense as last year. No, no. 
Definitely not. And I got into a fight with my barber this week because he's telling me that Pat Mahomes is going to win, and I'm telling him, no, dude, the Ravens got this because Lamar's coming around. But when you're looking at this game, high-pressure situations like that, it normally falls on the quarterback that's been in that situation and knows exactly how to get out of that situation. And Pat Mahomes is one of the slickest dudes to watch. I mean, it's almost entertaining on another level to watch him play football. But you think... Can he go and beat Tom Brady and that defense right mm-hmm. now? Because that defense is so hot. And that nobody's yep. even talking about Tom Brady, which is, to me, like incredible. Everyone's like, wow, look at the Bills are doing great. They are. San Fran doing great. They are. Anyone going to talk about how the Patriots are still like the number one offense and the number one defense right now? Legitimately one and one? Yeah, it feels very much like we have two teams and then the rest of the NFL, and whoever wins the AFC is going to win the Super Bowl. Um, but that leaves the door open for the Vikings as we go along. Alex, you and I will get together on Thursday. Great stuff, as always, today. Declan was taking notes for Thursday's explanations of football terminology. There uh, is a lot to work with. Courtney, great stuff. Thank you. Uh, you're going to be on ESPN Radio for the rest of time, right, later yeah, on tonight? Yeah, like 20 hours tonight. So. Okay. All right, I want to be what, on what Alex is on. I need that level of energy to carry me through from 7 to midnight. We will, be, uh, we will be back uh, tomorrow here on Purple Daily, 2 to 4 every day. We'll catch you then. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.